1: Good afternoon and welcome. It's Tuesday, time for our crack strategy panel. And yesterday, the government installed Mary Simon as our 30th Governor General, the first Indigenous person to hold the post. The reviews of that choice are overwhelmingly positive, except for some Challenges over her inability to speak French. Does it mean that the PM is close to paying a visit to ask her to dissolve Parliament and call an election? And the government is also continually crowing over. Our vaccination numbers. As of uh, just uh, less than an hour ago, the word that Canada continues to be a world leader in vaccination rates with over 80% of eligible people getting a first dose and about 64% fully vaccinated. So, if they repeat it enough times, will it make it so? Will that make up for the initial delays and screw ups that cost so many? lives and here at home in Ontario the premier is steadfastly resisting mandatory vaccination for health care workers while even the United States is going that route and this from a guy who keeps saying he always listens to the experts not this time will he have to backtrack let's start there. And let me give you the numbers 416 360 0740, toll free 1 866 740 4740. And now let's bring in Karen Stintz, CEO of Variety Village, John Capobianco, Senior Vice President and Senior Partner, Fleischman Hillard High Road, and Charles Souza, the former Minister of Finance for Ontario and former MPP for Mississauga South. Hi, everyone. Thanks for being with us. I you hey, Libby.
2: Hey, good back. Afternoon. Thank John, you very Aaron, much. All the best to you guys.
1: Uh, let us begin with John. So um, the the premier is insisting no mandatory jabs for health care workers. But, you know, when I hear him explain it, it almost seems like it's his personal thing. Is Is there a constituency that he's appealing to or what?
3: Well, no, I think I think mandating anything to to you know as a, as when you're a leader uh, is a challenge in and of itself. I think that you know and, and especially in the healthcare space. Now, I, look, I I tend to agree with them on this. I don't think you should be mandating anything when it comes to vaccines, which is you know obviously a, a personal choice because people do you know have. Uh, are there issues with vaccines, or they just don't want to do it? And, and mandating it, and they can get gets into that state. Well, what do you do with people who aren't aren't going to vaccinate, or decide not to go uh, the route of, of of a forced vaccine, or you jailed? Them, it's you jailed not, them? it's
1: not, it's not forcing them. It's just if you want to work in this particular sector where right. other people are at risk, right? So Nobody says you have to get it.
3: No, but you're, so you're essentially you are though, because you're essentially saying if you don't do it, then you can't work, so you can't have a livelihood. So look, I think. At the end of the day, it really should be upon the, the, the unions or the associations to force their members to to get something as opposed to the government having to be a heavy hand on, on mandating it. I, I think that but most people would would expect that the healthcare workers should and ought to for their own reasons and for the safety of others more than anybody else want to get vaccinated. So the fact that there's people that are resisting it Uh, means that they likely won't, they will likely resistant even if it's mandated. So I think the premier is is being cautious about this. I think he's been very clear in ensuring and in sending out, you know, forced statements to say, please vaccinate. He's making it abundantly accessible for people to get vaccinated, especially healthcare workers, especially teachers who are going to be going to school in in September uh, to teach their kids, hopefully. So these are folks that are are frontline and should on their own level of responsibility be wanting to be expected to be vaccinated, as opposed to having government say you are forced to be vaccinated.
1: Well, you know what, uh, and I'm going to throw it to Charles. As as somebody who's been uh, on the receiving end of health care services recently, it is a very vulnerable place not to know. And I just saw another tweet a couple of days ago that said that that some home care uh, nurses are being told not to disclose. Uh, you know, I, I came into contact with people who uh, disclosed, some who didn't. And uh, it's just a very vulnerable place. And the people who are most likely to suffer are the most vulnerable. So Charles, where are you on this?
2: Well, you know, I, there's two points that John made. One was the government shouldn't be the ones mandating. But I think I, I heard him say, it's okay for employers to mandate.
1: Or unions, he said, and passing unions. the and, buck. And, and, and if that's the case,
2: then they should be vaccinated. They should have, uh, let's put it this way they are, they, they're free not to be vaccinated, but they're not free and they shouldn't be free to inflict others. And that's the point. So in our, in our workplaces and so forth, I think the employers should have the right to say, hey, you can't come to work if you're not vaccinated because you're going to put other people at risk. And I think the teachers and the and the frontline staff and those others that are employed by certain agencies of government should have the right to say, no, you have to be vaccinated in order to come to work. Just as we want people coming to our country, we don't want them coming to our country if they're not vaccinated. We should impose restrictions on those flying into Canada to make sure that they're vaccinated, just as other countries are going to ask the same of us. Again, Canadians are free not to be vaccinated, but you shouldn't be free to have infliction and to cause harm for others. Like, we're doing our part to provide herd immunity. We're doing our part to move uh, the, the needle forward, <laughs> literally. Um, and so should they. And they'll benefit from it, and that's fine. But. Really, if my kids are at risk going into school because a teacher's not being vaccinated, that's not cool.
1: Well, you know what? And uh, Karen, I mean, I think there's an element of ageism here because teachers are required to be vaccinated. Nine vaccines. Uh, uh, this is before COVID. And here are health care workers who are dealing with ve- very vulnerable older populations. And we've seen deaths among older people who are vaccinated because the older you are, you have immunosenescence and and you're not as well protected. Uh, Is is Doug Ford going to have to backtrack on this? Yeah, I mean, I have a very different opinion than than John and
4: Charles because uh, I do think that the Ford government has got to um, soften its stance around mandatory vaccines in certain circumstances. Um, And I say that because I run a facility for kids with disabilities under 12 who cannot be vaccinated. So I said to the camp staff, if you want to be a camp counselor, you need to be vaccinated. Now, I didn't do that. I'm subject to human rights violations. There's no question about it. If one of my camp staff doesn't agree with that position, they have the opportunity to take me to the Human Rights Commission, and I would have to defend my position. It's impossible to ask employers to take that position at large. And so the government needs to recognize that it has a role to play in supporting employers, creating safe workplaces. And... You know, from my perspective, when Premier Ford says we don't want a divided society, believe me, we're going to have a divided society if we get locked down again because 20% of the population is not vaccinated. There will be a division in society between those that have taken the steps they need to to keep each other safe and those who haven't. And that is just as candid as I can be. And so I think that, to John's point, if you choose not to get a vaccine and you live in your cabin up north and you don't interact with anybody, you know what? Godspeed. But if you're teaching my kids, or you're in my facility, or you're caring for my father, my expectation is that you are going to be vaccinated. And I think it's reasonable.
1: For the government to do it. The the other thing, Karen, where... uh I, I I don't know if I know enough to correct you, but employers are between a rock and a hard place because you mentioned this human rights complaint. But on the other hand, employers are legally required to provide a safe workplace. No and, question about it. And, literally, and uh, I can get
4: shut down. If I have five cases of COVID in my facility, I can be shut down. And if those are five unvaccinated people that have put, shut down my facility, <laughs> then we have a divided society because that creates... Unnecessary division where there doesn't need to be. Well, so, it, exactly. I, I can't say to someone right now, if you're not vaccinated, you can't come here. I, I don't have any ability to say that. I don't even have the ability to ask. Uh,
1: well, I, I would, uh, you know, I, I've seen a lot of written uh, by employment lawyers and people like that, and, and lately uh, it, it, uh, it actually is tending to the other that they have to provide a, uh, a uh, a safe workplace, they are asking, and they're saying, well, if you're not vaccinated, then maybe you can't come back to the office. People are doing that. Yeah. yeah, and
4: I did it, but again, it's, you know, we're we're just advised that we do it with some level of risk. Now, we were willing to take that risk, and I've actually called my dentist and said, I, I'm not going unless you can guarantee me the hygienist or get vaccinated. They said, we cannot guarantee that. I'm like, well, then I'm not going to the dentist. That dentist. I'll find another dentist. <laughs> like, <laughs> It's unbelievable to me that people who work about at people's mouths, you know, all day long, don't want to get vaccinated. Like, I just can't, I can't understand it. I don't need to understand it, but I certainly don't want to be around it.
1: Well, it's, it's also, for some people, it seems to be a matter of principle that they're not going to tell you you know some some healthcare workers or personal support workers think well i'm i'm going to disclose my status because i know how my patient feels and others are saying you know i don't have to tell you
3: well, it's Libby I would say I would say that's true. And 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 Karen makes a lot of amazingly valid points, especially because she's actually in the industry where, where you know health is is important. But but I go back to if you are a health worker and you have taken on the responsibility of, of taking care of other people on a frontline basis, uh, and you know that there's something that, that is proven that will make you safer not only you yourself, but people around you safer. It is mind-boggling that there's still some out there that are resisting that. And, the, and again, no matter John, what But John, it's a
1: percentage says, of people. It's not some. It's, it's not the no odd one.
3: Governments, I get that. But no matter what governments will tell you, if they're still not, if they're still not determining right now... That they should get vaccinated. Governments could say all they want that they're mandated to do. It. They still won't. And what are you going to do then? Fire them? You're going to you're going to sort of yeah. You're going to send
1: yeah. them to jail? Yeah. yeah, you're not, not going to send them to jail. jail. You but say like sorry. You can't. You you need to find a different of kind of work. So why can't if businesses now, Libby?
3: If businesses now are are already starting to consider, you know, saying hey. No shirt, no t-shirt, no t-shirt, no shoes, no, no business. Oh, and by the way, no vaccine, no business. If businesses are able to do that and hospitals, as, as you know, are independent corporations governed by their own board of governors. Why can't they make that decision? That terminus saying, if you are a healthcare worker within my facility and you're not vaccinated, you can't come in and do the work. Why can't they do that?
1: Well, some of them are doing versions of it, but they uh, don't know what they're opening themselves up to. And the fact is, everything else in health care is regulated by the province. So why should the province pass the buck? I mean, you know, to me, this isn't even a brave stance.
3: Well, well I, just- not, I'm not saying whether or not it's brave or not, but I think there's there's a certain level of of you know what government government could make give it, like, vaccines as accessible. And it's open and they could sort of spend millions of dollars on on ads to make sure that people are aware of where they're going and how they're doing it and make it as easy as possible. Because if my nineteen year old daughter can go on the website and find, you know, get get herself double vaccinated within within days, then then obviously they're making it accessible to everybody. So it's not as if governments sort of is, is being is being restrictive or they're challenging. Yeah, there was early days when, when I'm sure we'll be talking about that, where governments didn't do that, but now anybody can get vaccinated, they can walk off the street and go to anywhere to get vaccinated so people that aren't being vaccinated now Libby, are making a personal choice that they do not want to be at a health well exactly or and, else.
1: and exactly and those of us, the rest of us here think they should be told your personal choice means you cannot personally choose to work with vulnerable people in a healthcare setting
3: I don't disagree with that at all. I, I actually don't disagree that people and I, and I hear what Karen saying about, you know, checking with her with her dental dental hygienist to make sure that's perfectly fine to do. And it's her right to be able to say, I'm going to go somewhere else. But that's the personal choice that people make. But I do agree that if you're, if you're a healthcare care and you're not vaccinated. Well, shame on you and you shouldn't be able to
2: work. But John, it should be more than just shame. I think, to Karen's point, the Ministry of Labor and the Ministry of Health should provide some form of protection for those employers who are saying, we have a separate workplace policy to provide for vaccinations to support the health and safety of of our employees, and they should be somehow protect it from human rights violations or or attacks, that's something that the government can do, is enable those employers the right to do what they feel is appropriate to provide those health and
1: safety. You you know, Charles, that's a really interesting idea. And compare and contrast, the government indemnified long-term care Mm -hmm. homes with the worst records against being sued. Unless it is the highest form of negligence, the hardest to prove, they indemnified yeah. them. But I think I haven't heard that idea before, Charles. And I think it's an excellent one.
3: Yeah, no, and I, I agree. I agree with Charles. I think that is the way to go. And I think governments can do that as they have been doing during the pandemic, where they've given special dispensation to businesses against getting, you know, getting sued for force majeure and others. I think there's uh, there's opportunities for governments to do that versus forced mandates so i think there is an i think that is an avenue and governments have been thinking about that in some way so i do think it's a good idea
4: um because yeah, and- that would be incredibly helpful and the other reality is you know we're we're in stage three still requires indoor masks still requires to physically distance so even though i know that actually 90 percent of my employees are vaccinated we still have to walk around with all the personal protective equipment because 10 percent are not at yeah. what point does that become fair
1: Well, I think uh, for people in the building, I think we're at 100% and we still have the same rules. Right.
4: uh, No, we're not 100%. There's one
1: person who's not vaccinated who's a Um, (laughs) fill-in. Yeah. (laughs) We give that person a wide berth.
3: (laughs) Well, you know what, Olivia? It gets into the whole question of whether or not, you know, when you ask colleagues now, are you double vaccinated? Is that (laughs) Some people take it personal now.
1: Oh, it, well, it's I guess it's different. You know, the news department, we were here throughout the whole thing. We know each other really well. And, and so, first of all, um, as a person in charge of the department, um, we were giving people time to go get vaccinated. So we know from that point of view, but it, it was sort of high fives all around from everyone mm-hmm. when we were eligible. But anyway, um, moving right along, and this is just a final little aspect of this. So University Health Network announced that unvaccinated employees will have to have a home test negative 48 hours before, um, which seems sensible for people who are unvaccinated. But one of the things that came up with a policy like that was that people who were doing that um, were getting time off, paid time off to keep getting tests Mm-hmm. Because they weren't vaccinated, and it was like a, a, a little loophole. Karen, did you hear that? I did hear that. I did hear that. You know, and at some point, at some point, something's got
4: to give because we can't keep bending ourselves like pretzels, accommodating people who choose not to get vaccinated. Yeah, you know, like wh- how far do we have to bend to allow them to maintain their choice? And and that is a question that will become increasingly uncomfortable for the government to have to answer. How far do 80% of the population need to go to bend, to twist, so that 20% can maintain their individual choice?
1: Yeah, and I don't even know that it's it's 20%. But again, the the final, final thing on this, Charles, is the Ford government going to have to uh, eat their words and, and change their minds on this?
2: Uh, I think they're going to have... I mean, Jason Kenney's also saying the same thing out in Alberta. Um, their base seems to want that degree of, you know political, less political interference, more freedom, you know, the anti-vaxxers are out in force uh, throughout Canada and the United States, making a lot of noise and providing a lot of misinformation to so many people. Mm -hmm. But that is creating some turmoil within the Conservative Party at times, especially those going to the extreme. He's going to have to do something, even if it means making that provision to provide for employers.
1: Okay, well, Charles, that's a great idea. I hope he was uh, listening. Uh, before we move to the next topic, let's take a call from Sita in Mississauga. Hi, Sita. Sita, are you there? She's lit up in red, but I don't hear her. Sita? Okay. Gone. Okay. Uh What CETA was trying to say was that anybody who works with vulnerable people should have to be vaccinated. Now, Mm -hmm. still with vaccination, we got the latest crowing about Canada's vaccination rates, so... uh, john is that going to make up for all the mess-ups at the beginning of the rollout when this election is called probably sooner rather than later <laughs> you mean within a couple of weeks yeah i mean within um, a couple of weeks yeah um, i think i think
3: most yeah i, I would say the, the answer to that question is yes i think people will be will be much more mindful of where they are in the moment uh, with respect to how they feel how the situation is uh, from the pandemic and, and how things are going Versus, you know, what happened, you know, a year or 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 longer with respect to the beginning of the pandemic. I think a lot of leaders, government leaders, that, at all three levels, municipal, provincial, and 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 federal, you know, were, we're trying to scramble with something that was never, you know, was not written in a textbook, was not, you know, there's no playbook or on it, and they were, you know, fumbling around to try to make the best they can do, uh, and I think a lot of mistakes were made uh, at all three levels, but certainly I think that the the, the majority of the mistakes that that came were based on either mixed messages from health officials and health leaders, uh, not only in here in Canada, but around around the world, um, and, and some, some consternation regarding when we ended up getting our vaccines and how they were distributed at the very early stages, which caused a lot of leaders, even the Prime Minister, to lose a lot of popular support. I do think, though, Libby, that a lot of people will, will say, okay, well, that was then, this is now, and they'll be judged by where they are today. I think the opposition party at the federal level uh we'll have to make hay of the fact that look we could have been a lot better a lot sooner if if the prime minister did you know get us vaccines earlier on so i think that would be one of the things that they would sort of want to build a narrative around the prime minister to kind of poke holes at it but i think most canadians are are going to be saying hey look you know things are opening up things are better um and and i think they'll give they'll give a pass to, to their leaders uh
1: charles what do you think
2: I don't know what the ballot question is going to be. I really don't. Um, I think people are going to feel more comfortable where they're at now. Certainly, all political parties uh, that are that are in power are trying to take advantage of uh, the recovery and, and the and you know the, the lessened uh, degree of COVID, but the pandemic still exists. WHO is still concerned about it worldwide. Um, but I I don't know. I'm not sure if it's going to be that's going to be the question, or is it going to be around the overexposure and the tired nature that people are having of some of our leaders. And, uh, you know, Justin Trudeau uh, is a self-promoter, and he is overexposed. That may be an issue, but he's got a great governor general, which we're going to talk about in a moment. We've, uh, he's done a good job with regards to the vaccines and getting the recovery underway, but there is a recovery that's necessary. There is an economic uh, issue that we have to deal with, will that be the ballot question? Maybe, but I think it's going to come down to personalities. and uh, our Arnold tool is picking up a little bit, but uh, is it going to be enough? Oh, no, so it's all about timing, and I think they're trying to time it quickly while he can.
1: Karen, uh, will everything be forgiven in terms of the roll-up? Well, it's an interesting question because as, as Charles mentioned,
4: it kind of depends where people are at, and if there's an election in the fall. And there is a resurgence of COVID and the kids aren't back at school or there's, you know, upset about the teachers. Even though that's provincial jurisdiction, it will impact how people are feeling about the vaccine rollout because the vaccines were supposed to be our way out of this. And we're still told we're not out of it. And we don't know how to get out of it right now, to be candid. Like we're in the stage three in Ontario. and We don't know. What it looks like afterwards, we don't know how the kids are going to go back to school. We don't know what's going to be mandatory in terms of vaccination. So I, I think that there's there's room for a lot of things to go off the rails, and then that could impact the ballot question. To, to Charles's point, and and I think that the conservatives they can spin another narrative um, outside of the vaccine rollout entirely around um, you know some of the overreach that the government may have made in other files that I think is legitimate but I think it's very volatile and I think that there was a moment in time that an election seemed likely but there's the fall is going to bring some uncertainty and it and it could change the dynamics quite quite rapidly for the government
1: right and we don't know if we're going to get a fourth wave from the delta Correct. variant we don't know if we're know. shut
4: down if we're shut down the the federal that will impact
1: the, the outcome of the federal election <laughs> no questions asked
3: hundred <laughs> well, percent
1: let's let's talk about the governor general uh is there a, a shiny afterglow from that uh she s- seems to be absolutely the right person un- unless you are in quebec and are myth that she can't speak french
3: Yeah, I would, uh, Libby. I would say that I think uh, I think she's an impressive woman. I think that uh, the, the ceremony yesterday was really was amazing to watch, uh, especially because they had you know they had folks from from her uh, from her hometown uh, and uh, and other indigenous leaders uh, all uh, speaking glowingly of her. I thought it was well well done, uh, well uh, well uh, displayed, and I think she'll be great. I, I do think that the French. Obviously, is a challenge. I think, in fact, good, good on her for trying and, and having some uh, some French in her uh, in her speech, uh, and it's something that she's going to obviously want to want to continue to practice on and get better on, which she says she's going to do. So, I think we, we give her that uh, that benefit of the doubt.
1: Karen, what did you think?
4: Yeah, I think it's a great appointment, and you know, all the noise around not speaking French aside, you know, I, I think that where the country is right now, that she is the tonic that is needed to help us move forward. And so, yeah, I know there's complaints. I know they'll be investigated. I know there's ruffled feathers. But, you know, in the grand scheme of things, um, I think that it's overwhelmingly
1: positive for the country. Okay. Um, we only have a few minutes left. Uh, what are you going to be looking at in the week ahead, John?
3: Uh, well, you know, just, just making sure that everything goes well with. Uh, with the, the next level of the vaccine and, and sort of the, the government's uh, planning on, on sort of the next stage and what that's going to look like, but, but also from, from, you know, the Olympics, just to make sure that Canada continually does well. We're, we're doing so well, the gold medals and the medal counts so far. I'm hoping that continues over the next week and until the end of the Olympics and that the, the cases in Tokyo continue to they don't go as high as, they, as, as they're going now.
1: Who knows? Uh, maybe even that will cast a nice glow on the government. Karen? Yeah, I mean, well, I just read today that the uh, Canadian border guards are thinking about going on strike, and
4: that would be not good. Just as the border is opening up for U.S. travelers that are vaccinated to have border guards go on strike, that would certainly put the government in another position.
1: (laughs) <laughs> and and we didn't even get to talk about Pearson Airport changing the rules. And I can tell you uh, that, uh, you know, with the Arrive Can app, there were lots of problems with it. But that is for another day. So, Charles, you will get the last word.
2: Um, Yeah, you know what, I I, I didn't comment on Mary Simon. I think uh, one of the things I like about this Governor General, she doesn't seem entitled, as some others may have in the past. There's a bit of humility about her, maybe because she's no stranger to human rights, and she's sensitive to the plight of those most vulnerable. But uh, that strong work ethic, I think, is something that should be common throughout everybody in our country, especially as we move forward to fight this pandemic and try to recover the economy. Let's stick together. And she's a consensus builder, and hopefully that will translate to others. Not sure that everybody will listen to her, but I'm hoping so.
1: Here, here. And, and here, here. she's a Zoomer. Hey! <laughs> yeah, <that> she is. <laughs> she's starting a job, you know, at an age when most people have already been retired for a while. So good for her. I approve of that. That's awesome. Okay, thank you so much, Charles Souza, John Capobianco, and Karen Stintz. Thanks, guys.
3: Thanks, Thanks, everybody. Talk
1: soon. We are going to take a break. And when we come back, we are going to talk about a big issue that I bet affects all of us, and it is food waste. Do you waste a lot of food? Have you wasted more food during the pandemic? I can tell you that I have, not for lack of trying, Uh, but overall, it's a huge problem. There's a new app that can help you solve the problem and save some money while you're at it. But I want to hear from you on what the situation is when we come back.
0: You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight Back with Libby Schneimer on Zoomer Radio.
1: Welcome back. It is a huge problem that I believe has become worse during the pandemic. I'm talking about food waste. Did you know that in Toronto alone, single-family households dispose of as much as 441 pounds each year, and that more than 50% of the food produced in Canada is wasted, and that's equivalent to, what, 273 CN Towers? (laughs) So a lot of this Happens at the corporate level. Fruit and vegetables, which are deemed too irregular or too, believe it or not, ugly to be sold, are wasted. At the individual level, how much becomes a science experiment in your fridge? Personally, even though I hate wasting food and I'm very clever with leftovers if I say so myself. I waste more since cutting back on the number of shopping trips because of the pandemic. And how about you? How are you doing? What do you do? The numbers to call 416 360 toll-free 866 740 And now there is something else you can do there's an app for that sam kashani is the country the canada country manager at too good to go which allows consumers to purchase leftover foods from participating food stores at a discounted price and he is joining me along with dr sylvain charlebois senior director of the agri-food analytics lab at dalhousie university and dr paul ace director of Director External of the Ontario Agricultural College at Guelph University. Hello and, and welcome and thanks for being with us. Thanks, Libby. Great to be back. Okay. Let us, thanks, be- let us begin with Sam, who is the, the country manager at Too Good To Go. So tell us how the app works. <laughs>
5: Thanks, Libby, for having me. Um, Yeah, the app connects consumers with stores that have surplus food left over at the end of the day. So as a consumer, you can essentially download the app through the Google Play Store or the Apple App Store, look at your geographic area, and essentially pick a store close to you and go in at a defined pickup window and pick up what we call a surprise bag. And a surprise bag essentially consists of surplus food that they have left over at the end of the day. Um, And instead of throwing that out, consumers can essentially pick it up for a discounted rate, as you mentioned. And why we're super inspired about bringing this platform to Canada is that it's a win-win-win okay, restaurant le- and stores.
1: Let me ask you, is it is it fresh food? Is it prepared food? Because, uh, you know, the, if, if somebody is selling fruits and vegetables, for instance, you know, they don't throw it out at the end of the day.
5: Yeah, it's primarily fresh foods. It's baked goods. It's food that they essentially wouldn't. It's fit for consumption that day, but ne- isn't necessarily fit for consumption if you you know pass a week or pass a handful of days. So consumers can essentially pick that up and consume um, in the same day, or essentially freeze. So it's a primarily fresh food and food that's fit for consumption.
1: Okay, uh Dr. Charlebois. So, uh how much of the problem of food waste is actually related to that to something uh that might be thrown out from a store?
6: Well, first of all, I just want to say hi to my good friend Paul Ace. Uh, who's on the line right now. I actually didn't know he was invited, but that's uh he's a great invitee for sure. <laughs> <So> <laughs> you all him. are. Uh, <laughs> uh I uh the, the the issue of food waste obviously is a huge one at retail, uh, and of course, uh, consumers uh, do waste a whole lot more than any other stakeholders within the uh, uh, entire food supply chain. So uh, I'm, I'm really I'm really happy to see more technologies um, addressing this issue. Uh, I mean, uh, uh, too good to. This new technology is actually addressing this issue. There's, there's quite a lot more that consumers can do uh, every single day. I, I think in light of COVID, um, it got us to, to, to become better inventory managers at home. We're more aware of what actually is happening in our fridges and, and cupboards. And so when we show up at the grocery store, I, I've always thought that, uh, you know, the biggest, the, the biggest challenge that we have is that we often buy too much food. And, uh, our back in March of 2020, that's kind of, that was the neater direction for a lot of people just to basically buy as much as possible without knowing when they would, that we would be allowed to go back in stores. And that's kind of how we are. The, the, the Costco model, uh, family packs work, have worked very well in the 90s and 2000s because food was actually quite affordable, uh, and frankly quite cheap. And people were just, hardwired to save and and, uh, and hoard. Now we're into a new he- era of sustainability and responsible shopping. And that's why we're hearing a lot more about food waste. And, of course, <laughs> food is become a little bit more expensive, so people are very careful.
1: I, I am finding a lot of things, especially, uh, you know, things that I might buy from a bakery, much more expensive. But uh, in the pandemic, uh, you know, it wasn't even so much uh Personally, for hoarding, but uh, so you buy uh, protein, but um, I don't know exactly how I'm going to cook it. So I get more vegetables than than I know, or more herbs, and and some of them get used, and some of them don't. Uh, is that a problem for a, a lot of people, Doctor Ace?
7: Yeah, uh, Libby, I think you just touched on a very sensitive area, and I, you know, I'm like everybody else. I have. It really sticks in my gullet when I buy produce and, you know, I'm forced to buy large quantities. Yes. is <laughs> it. always I would love there to be a better solution um, because the stuff comes in, in large quantities. And, you know, you talk about coming out of the supermarket, of course, they themselves have their own waste. It's also how do they treat you know and I come from the supermarket business um it's how do they handle this stuff as well before you 've even bought it? So are you buying something that in fact ultimately is uh, is going to deteriorate more quickly because it hasn't had the right cold chain and that type of thing and then of course, the size of pack comes into it. Um, the distance that the products have traveled. And, of course, that for us in Canada can also be an enormous challenge because, you know, you can, you're buying produce that's probably been on a truck for two, three, four days from Mexico or California. So these things all add up and they certainly have, um, uh, you know, play a part. And I think, though, I think Sildan hit the nail on the head that there is, there is a much more uh, 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 huge awareness Food, food didn't have the value that it really needs to have in a lot of consumers' minds—the the real value of food—and I think that's a very critical issue. I think it is, certainly with the, the prices that are are, are rocketing in, in in a number of areas. And and is is, is, is is you know puts together uh, at the end of the year uh, a, a, a report on where he sees the, the price of, of of food going. It'll be interesting to see what what he comes up with this year.
1: Uh, I'm going to take a call from Helen in Toronto. Hi, Helen. Hi, Libby.
8: Uh, As you know, I've been on the show before talking about the waste of food. Uh, I've approached a couple of grocery stores and said, look, that stuff, there will be a couple of bad, uh, let's say apples, in a package. And I see them take it to the back. I'm friendly with the guys at the back. They toss it, and I said, and where's that going? He said, to the garbage. So, of course, I speak to the manager and say, hey, that is a waste. Now, finally, I see they've put out a um, rack of things that are less than perfect. However, um, I was brought up by a, a mother who was a widow. We used to go to the grocery store to buy the things that the average other person wasn't looking for. It was nutritious. Yeah, it didn't look pretty, so she cut it up. You know, I think there's – um, with one of the, the stores, they had said to me they're working on a corporate decision. That was years ago. I haven't seen it. And the second store said it is our corporate decision that if it's not nice enough for a customer to buy, we don't give it away. We don't want the people who are getting it to feel second class. Okay. Hey, it's a lot better to, to feel second class, send it to a bank that is going to cook it, then put it in the
1: garbage. Okay, Helen, thanks for that. I, I think maybe some grocery stores uh, have changed their minds on that. And, and I have to point out something uh, that I have experienced more than once from uh, a nameless, expensive grocery chain, and that is they package things up. Uh, Dr. Ace was talking about this. And, oh, when you get towards the bottom of the package, the stuff's not good.
7: Hmm. Uh, yeah, visually, I mean, that's... that. That happens, and it, it happens through the chain, unfortunately. It doesn't even happen, you know, it's not even necessarily that the, the retailer is busy uh, uh, trying to to pull a fast one. It, it happens through. And, and of course, it, 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 packaging is, of course, in itself now, a huge double-edged sword, Libby, because, we, you know, we really are becoming very conscious about the plastics that we have. Uh, plastic packaging is is an enormous issue on the one hand, but on the other hand, it, the, 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 the packaging does offer, when it's there, at, at times, some form of protection. So we're in, again have an interesting dilemma there as we start to put more and more pressure on 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 how we packaging our foods.
6: It, yeah, it, uh, grocers are exposed to uh, to uh, to consumers, obviously. But in defence of grocers, I must say they're probably one of the most generous uh stakeholders out there uh they give a lot to food banks i actually work as a volunteer uh, at food banks canada they give a lot of food secondly keep in mind food safety is a big issue for grocers the last thing they want is a recall or poisoning people is not good for business yeah. so if there if there's a risk to uh contaminate uh, to sell a contaminated product they 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 won't take it obviously and and second and the last thing i i would acknowledge for your listeners more and more, I don't know about Paul, but I'm noticing more and more grocers offering uh, discounted, unpromoted, discounted products at 50% all the time. Mm. As you walk into a grocery store, uh, products that are about to, um, you know, the expiry date is basically tomorrow or the next day. They're selling it at half price. Yeah, I've noticed that just too. They to reduce the amount of waste they're generating.
1: That is, the, uh, I've noticed that too, and I've, I've also noticed with fruits and vegetables that they discount some of them that are a little less than perfect. Sam Kashani, um, this idea of picking up a surprise, so first of all, how do you make sure that uh, the stuff in those bags is, is good and not a danger to health? And, and how are people reacting to, you know, Surprise, surprise.
5: Yeah, that's a great question. Um, we work with all of our partners to make sure that the food that's that's essentially going into the surprise bag is something that would otherwise would sell if they had the consumer coming in for it. So anything you find in our platform is essentially something you could have bought if you would have gone in there um, you know, a few hours before. And the, the reality also for us is you know, the, the surprise bag creates a bit of a surprise and delight, but what we know is that food waste is incredibly unpredictable. If you think of that grocery store, if you think of that bakery, oh. when they open up their stores in the morning, they don't exactly know what they're going to have left, and the surprise bag allows them to make sure that they get and achieve that zero-waste mindset.
1: Hmm. That's interesting, too. Let's take a call from Linda in St. Catherine's. Hi, Linda. Hi, how are you? I'm fine. How are
9: you? I have one comment to make. There is at least 90% of the population that has never been hungry for any length of time. They have been hungry a day or two, or maybe a week, but when they start being hungry for a matter of years, like some people on the street, then they will understand that food waste is really a critical issue. I do not waste food. I'm 70 years old. I have, okay, I'm very lucky. I worked all my life. But prior to going to work at 15, I have to say I went hungry many times. Many days. I've gone without food for a week. I had a bowl of red jello, and I puked my guts out. Because that's all the food I had in that
1: week. Sorry to hear that.
9: No, it's not sorry. It's a learning lesson. What these what these people out there do not realize.
1: Okay, we're losing that. Sorry, there's uh, some strange noise there. Uh, thank you for your call. Um, do you agree with that, Doctor Charlebois? That uh, the problem is that people are too willing to waste food.
6: Um, I I don't know. I, I think, as Paul said, I mean, people are more and more aware of the supply chain. They, I mean, before the pandemic, they were they wanted the supply chain to be more transparent. Nowadays, they are actually trying to figure out how it actually works. And one of the negative externalities of the food supply chain is waste. So they're trying to learn where waste is actually coming from, and uh, and that's really. What this is all about—it's a collective learning journey for all of us. Uh, of course, I—I I am very—I'm very much aware retro- well. it goes on in the, in the supply chain, but I've—I've—I've I've, I've never realized until COVID hit that a lot of people just don't know how the supply chain works, how food actually appears <laughs> on shelves. It doesn't—it wor- doesn't work like magic, and so I think people are appreciating more what's actually going on and and that's great and i think it will lead to more responsible behavior people will think differently about you know repurposing food uh eating the same food you know twice in a row because that's what you do with leftovers once in a while you know accepting that it's not going to be you know the perfect meal every single time you sit down as a family
1: uh yeah, I mean personally, I look forward to leftovers because it means I don't have to cook. <laughs> actually, um, sometimes food is actually better as the, a leftover. It depends. It depends what it is, and there are certain exactly. things th- that I don't cook because the, the the cooking method doesn't give good leftovers. I mean, I one of this is total digression, but one of the the hot trends of the pandemic has been what they call sheet pan. Cooking everything you cook on a sheet pan in the oven. But when you reheat that, it's not so good. So I don't do those. <laughs> <laughs> and and the other thing is... Um, I don't know if people are aware of the best way to store things at home. You know, one of the things that a lot of grocers do is they water their herbs and vegetables. But if you don't dry them off and, say, put a paper towel around them as opposed to s- sticking them wet in a plastic, plastic bag, if you do the latter, then they're going to go bad sooner.
7: Maybe that uh, yeah again coming from the the, the supermarket business myself th- that's a very critical issue and and it goes back to the moment they pick up their groceries and walk out of the store i mean i'm horrified uh, at 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 how people treat uh, their foods and particularly in summer uh, you know we we have get into hot cars uh we 've got stuff that is already starting to perish, and you know you don 't get it into your fridge your fridge you know isn't isn 't running properly. It starts right at that stage, and 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 this, I think that you know, if you look elsewhere, certain societals are, are much more uh, keenly aware on 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 how they respect the food. And it comes back to to a comment I think Subhan uh, made a little bit earlier. I yeah, I think it it's all the way through. Uh, and and we just take we take it for granted. And and of course, I think it's the complication is added. And again, I think Sylvain so can probably talk to this better than I can. You know, we live in a society where so much of our foods are no longer prepared in our own kitchen. Well, I think uh, the pandemic has changed that. Uh But you know, we were, we buy so much food out of that is, that that is prepared elsewhere. And and we don't we don't really understand how it should be treated, and 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 the pitfalls that come along with it, and then you know it, it adds to the uh, the problem we have with wastage.
1: Well, exactly, and sometimes, frankly, it's a bit of laziness. I mean, you know, okay. if I come home Please with be. with five different herbs, do I feel like washing and drying every one of those and wrapping it up? Well, sometimes yes, and sometimes no. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so yeah,
6: reducing waste is a lot of work for sure. Uh, it's, it's about discipline. And uh, if you have kids at home, it's, it's about values. Uh, it's, a, you know, it's, it's about saying, well, if you, don't, you can't eat everything in your plate, then let's actually figure out how we can repurpose this for, for the next day or, and so on and so forth. So it's about education as well. True, And true. talking about it is, is very helpful for everyone.
1: Uh, yeah, and it, it, it could be, I guess, fun with the kids. If I had kids, I'd make them do some of that.
5: Uh. <laughs> <laughs> Lydia, if I may add, I think yeah. the education piece is, is near and dear to our heart with respect to you know inspiring folks on food waste and food waste reduction tips and tricks. You know, We invest within our YouTube channel on all the content platforms that we have in ensuring that consumers have different tips and tricks On when they don't finish the food or they have day-old bread, how do they make that into, you know, homemade cookies? And we continue to work with chefs around the world in coming up with ideas and inspiring them to really use the whole vegetable, but all the food in their fridge rather than throwing that out. So I think education, as some of the other folks have mentioned, is is a critical piece of the equation.
1: And Sam, is there a particular demographic that uses your app more than others?
5: Yeah, and globally, we're in 15 countries and now in Canada, so obviously early days for us in Canada, but it actually spans quite wide. So we we see, um, you know, bachelors in the city centres using the the platform. We also see families essentially picking up assorted groceries and doing a bit of an uh, at-home cooking uh, routine with the family and the kids. So it's actually pretty broad. We target it to make sure that we're um, reaching out and involving more and more. So our goal is to help fight food waste together. It's no longer just an in- just you know an organization or an institution that needs to take on this beast. It's really folks like you and I and everyone on this call and our families that can take a small action that can have a big difference.
7: Sam, does your does your app, does it apply to processes and manufacturers as well? Or do you are you really targeting the end of the line?
5: Yeah, I think in our more established markets in Europe, we have really strong partnerships with some of the biggest consumer packaged goods companies in the world in really helping facilitate that. Early days for us in Canada, we're, um, about, a week and a half, we're about a week in from our launch. So our, we're focused on the end of the line um, right now, but continuing to build and build those relationships in Canada and make sure that we're supporting our manufacturing partners as well.
1: How much of the problem we uh, we keep hearing about, <clears throat> and I think this might happen at the farm level, that if you have weird-looking vegetables, they get wasted. How much of a problem is that, Sylvain?
6: Well, I mean, uh, what we've seen over the years uh, are attempts uh, to reduce waste. Uh, retailing food waste is not an easy thing. Uh, but now we're seeing investors... Uh, showing some interest in, in apps and different analogies to reduce waste because you can actually make money by selling uh, this concept of reducing, of reducing food waste. People can save money. Uh, people see value in food so they can, they can see how they can save money. And so that's why more and more there's more interest in, in, in food waste. The economics of food waste are making more and more sense. Uh, but at the retail level, I must say, some grocers have actually tried different things. You know, we've seen the ugly uh, campaign, the ugly fruits and vegetable campaign, and uh, those campaigns have had mixed results just because of the culture that we have in North America. If you go to Europe, you want that perfect tomato. Or you got to show up at 9 o'clock in the morning at 5 in the afternoon. Tough luck. Uh, the only thing that are left are ugly tomatoes. So it's really... We're up against a culture that, doesn't, that, that really values aesthetics. Uh, but more and more what I'm seeing at retail level are grocers trying to, um, to educate the public that Mother Nature is not perfect. And people are gardening more, by the way. 21% of Canadians have actually gardened for the first time in the last 18 months. People are fully aware that Mother Nature is actually not perfect.
1: Let's take a call from Jan in Guelph. Hi, Jan. I'll be quick. Um, I wish producers of food, especially
8: uh, um, certain items, would make smaller, uh, smaller sort of slabs of cheese. They get great big slabs of cheese. Why don't they make smaller portions? And I could go on and on about how many products a senior has to buy but doesn't need a great big whatever. Or
1: you know a, or it? any single person. The the number of single-person households in this country keeps going up. I don't remember it offhand. Right. Or even two people. Right. I mean, my last, uh, I, I can't remember where I shopped. I wanted little cucumbers, and I had to buy, I don't know, 12 of them.
8: I know. You know, there should be a senior section where they have smaller, mm-hmm. um, smaller, no. It, it,
1: Jan, it's it's not just seniors. What I'm saying is that they're single person yes. households yes, you're right. of yes. all ages. That's right. And That's right. Uh, yeah, you don't have you don't need a seniors ghetto. No, you're right. But for single people, then. <laughs> okay, Jan. Thanks for that. Right. Bye. 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 Yes. Uh, so, what governs? W- why, Doctor Ace, are a lot of things packaged in such big packages?
7: Yeah, I know, it's and it's a real problem and and, and uh, you know elsewhere in other jurisdictions in Europe and things like that it's, it's it clearly is less of a, a focus. I, I, I hate to say it. Um, I think one of the, the one of the things we have here culturally is big is good. And that, you know, you're getting the value and you've got you got the you know, the ticket that the ticket price is is ultimately driving uh, what is going to buy into it, and, and and the responsibility is both at the retail level and at the consumer level. They are, you know, you can shop around. Unfortunately, the prices go up. The packaging tends to go up uh, in terms of smaller uh, smaller packs. But yeah, it, I I agree. It is it's a real challenge, and you know, even when you have. In the supermarket, and I talk from from personal experience, from the, coming from that industry, you will find that the smaller packs on the supermarket shelves are the are, are by far the the, the slowest sellers, um, and it's all about the you know the price perception and the value, and it comes back to how how we have real value perception of our food.
1: Yeah, and that's interesting. And sometimes when they put something on special, if it's two for five bucks, one is going to be two ninety nine, but. Okay i know that when i shop i think can we eat two of those (laughs) before they go bad we're running out of time sylvain charlebois what would you like to leave us with
6: well it's funny because we were talking about you know big packages while a lot of people are complaining about shrinkflation you know you basically seeing shrinking packages you're getting less for your money essentially they're not playing on the price they're playing on the quantity the next time you want to complain about shrinkflation Think about food waste. Uh, Janet just basically made made it clear. I mean, basically, if shrinkflation inflation exists it's because while there are costs related to producing food, but at the end of the day, you might actually be wasting less food because you're yes. buying less at the exactly. end of the day.
7: Yes, yes. He's a hundred percent right.
1: And I'm going to give the last word to Sam Kashani. Sam, how do people get your app? Um, Our
5: apps available at the Google Play Store and the Apple App Store empower Canadians to take one single action, whether it's rescuing a meal through our app, but also reducing food waste at home. And that's really the the, the task at hand and empower Canadians to take action.
1: Okay, and it's called Too Good to Go. Yep. All right. That's all the time we have. Thank you so much, Sam Kashani, Dr. Paul Ace, and Dr. Sylvain Charlebois. Thank
7: Thank you. Bye-bye. Thanks. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.
1: That's all the time we have for today.
0: You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.